Hello, and welcome to episode 236 of The Modern Manager. I'm your host, Mamie Canfer-Stewart. A warm welcome to Dante P. and Brittany H. to the Modern Manager community. I am super excited about an upcoming event on January 11th at 11 a.m. Eastern with prior guest Robert Jordan of episode 227. This event is available to patron members of the Modern Manager and participants in the Skills Accelerator. And in the workshop, you will learn your FAB's leadership style and discover a framework that will elevate you as a leader to greater career success while giving a blueprint for organizations to build collaborative, intentional teams. Robert will join me to provide you with direct, real-time feedback on your leadership style to help you grow personally and professionally. Again, that's on January 11th at 11 a.m. Eastern. Go to themodernmanager.com slash join to become a patron member or part of the Skills Accelerator, and you'll get your invite to this exclusive members-only event. Now, today's guest is Kim Scott. Kim is the author of Just Work and Radical Candor. Kim was a CEO coach at Dropbox, Qualtrics, Twitter, and other tech companies. And she was a member of the faculty at Apple University, and before that, led AdSense, YouTube, and DoubleClick teams at Google. Kim and I talk about how to give productive feedback using her famous radical candor model. We talk about why giving feedback is so important, even if it's uncomfortable, and how to solicit feedback in the most effective way. Now here's the conversation. You're listening to The Modern Manager, a podcast dedicated to helping you be a rock star boss with a thriving team. Whether you're looking to upgrade your meetings, cultivate your team, or grow as a leader, this podcast is for you. Now, here's your host, Mamie Canfer-Stewart. Thank you so much for joining me today, Kim. I know I already said this in our little pre-call, but I just have to say it again because I want all my listeners to know that I am such a huge fan of you and your work. It has impacted me as a manager. It has impacted so many people that I know. So just thank you so much for doing the work you do. And I'm so excited to talk with you live today and like actually get to pick your brain. Well, I am thrilled to talk to you. Writing is no fun if nobody reads. So all thanks go to you. You made four long, lonely years of writing the book worthwhile. And I'm eager to hear what you think. And radical candor is not real if I don't get radical candor on radical candor. I love that. Well, I'm a huge fan. So I don't know that I have any critical feedback to give. But maybe we can start because I'm guessing there might be a few folks who are listening who are like, radical candor, yeah, I've heard about that, but maybe aren't totally familiar. So can you just start by laying out what is this concept of radical candor and kind of how did it come about? The idea of radical candor is that you care personally and challenge directly at the same time. So it's love and truth at the same time. (laughs) You can't love without truth and you can't be truthful without love. And one of the things that might be helpful to folks is is to offer some examples of what radical candor is not. So if you think of radical candor in like a two by two framework, so on the vertical axis is care personally, on the horizontal axis is challenge directly. When you do both, it's radical candor. When you challenge, but you don't show you care, it's obnoxious aggression. And in in the earlier version of the book, I called that the asshole quadrant. And I stopped (laughs) doing that for a really important reason. I stopped doing that because I found when I did it, people would use this two-by-two framework to start writing names in boxes. And I beg of you, please don't use this framework that way. These, this is not another Myers-Briggs personality test. To use this framework like a compass 
to guide specific conversations with specific people to a better place. Because these are mistakes that all of us make multiple times a day. Now, we know that obnoxious aggression is a problem because it hurts other people. The other more subtle problem with obnoxious aggression is that it's inefficient. It's a waste of breath. Because when you act like a jerk to someone else, they go into fight or flight mode. And literally, when we're in that mode, we cannot hear. We physically cannot hear (laughs) what someone is saying. So you're wasting your breath. Another problem with obnoxious aggression is that very often when we land there, at least when I realize I've acted like a jerk, it's not my instinct to go the right way on care personally. Instead, it's my instinct to go the wrong way on challenge directly and to say, oh, it doesn't matter. It's no big deal, but it does matter. And it is a big deal. That's why I just said it. And and then you just leave the person confused. So you wind up in manipulative insincerity. This is where passive aggressive behavior, political behavior, backstabbing behavior of obnoxious aggression is frontstabbing manipulative insincerity is backstabbing, and all of the things that make a workplace most toxic happen in these bottom two quadrants. And the thing is that this is where the drama in the workplace is. So if you watch, if you read the Dilbert cartoon, or if you watch The Office or the TV show Silicon Valley, you're going to see a lot of episodes about manipulative insincerity and obnoxious aggression. But the fact of the matter is the vast majority of us make the vast majority of our mistakes in this last place where we do remember to show that we care. Most people are actually pretty nice people, as it turns out, despite everything (laughs) you read on social media. But we do remember to show that we care, but we're so concerned about not hurting someone's feelings that we fail to tell them something they'd be better off knowing in the long run. And that I call ruinous empathy. So that's radical candor in a nutshell. I love these four quadrants because it makes it just very easy to reflect on your own behavior and say, how am I showing up in this moment? What am I conveying? And am I doing it in a very straightforward way, but with kindness so that I'm not being in that jerk box, but I'm also not being wishy-washy or confusing or downplaying. And I'm also not not saying what I actually need to say in this moment. You, You can kind of I love it as a tool for managers to use before they go into that feedback conversation. Yes, it's fit. I mean, I wrote it because it's really helpful for me. It's it's hard. It's easy for me to say, be radically candid, really hard for you to do it and really hard for me to do it. I don't know anyone who doesn't struggle with this. I wonder if you could give an example of kind of the four different ways you might say something or not say something based on these four different quadrants so that we could kind of get really tight on like, what does it actually look like when you're doing it? Yeah. Love that question. So let's imagine you're having lunch with someone who you're just starting to work with. So you're just starting to get to know them and they have a giant hunk of spinach in between their teeth. The radically candid thing to do would be to say, hey, I hate it when this happens. I have a gap between these two teeth. I often have spinach, and I really appreciate it when people tell me. So I know if I were in your shoes, I'd want me to tell you that you have spinach in your teeth. And I don't want to give people scripts because you got to say it in the way that works for you. But you want to kind of say it in private and you want to you want to say it in a way that demonstrates that you care and that your goal is to be helpful not to humiliate the other person. The obnoxiously aggressive way to say it would be to stand up and yell at the whole restaurant. Look at the spinach in between this person's teeth. Or the the 
sort of manipulatively insincere way to do it would be to say nothing to the person, but to say something to someone else. And the ruinously empathetic thing to do would be, you know this person, let's imagine you know this person is about to go give an important presentation, but you don't want to hurt their feelings or knock them off their game before they go in, so you don't tell them. But then they go into this presentation with spinach in between their teeth. So that's a quick run-through of the of the quadrants in spinach in between your teeth. And it, it's kind of funny to think about what would you do? Like, that's a relatively easy example. Most people would agree that that it's the right thing to do to tell the person. But what if it's something more complicated, like your fly is down or you have BO or <laughs> something like that? Yeah, and that's where it gets tricky, too, on things where... You're like, oh, it's so small, right? Like, oh, a couple spelling errors in that document. It's really not worth bringing up because I don't want to make a big deal about this thing. But then you have no idea how many documents they're writing in, that are going to impact whether or not they get the next job or whether or not the presentation goes well and what the client sees, right? Like, sometimes those small things make a big difference. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, and if it's not a big deal, then it's usually not a big deal to say it. <laughs> Right. Yes. Uh, and, and if it is a big deal, then it's more important to say it. Yes, yes, yes. So how have you seen teams or managers or how have you used this in your work or with your clients or kind of how have you seen this as a as a tool and as a concept get played out in organizations? I'll I'll share with you a story about a moment when my boss was radically candid with me, not because radical candor is all about the boss giving the employee criticism. Radical candor should always start with soliciting feedback, and that is true up, down, and sideways. But this is kind of, these are the moments we're nervous about. So I had to give a presentation to the founders and the CEO of Google shortly after I joined the company about how the AdSense business was doing. And I walked into the room, and there in one corner of the room was one of the founders on an elliptical trainer stepping away wearing toe shoes in a bright blue spandex unitard, super tight. (laughs) Not what I was expecting or wanting, frankly, to see in the room. And there in the other corner of the room was the CEO doing his email, and he was so intent on, on his computer. It was like his brain had been plugged into the machine. So probably like all of your listeners in such a situation, I felt a little bit nervous. How was I supposed to get these people's attention? Luckily for me, the AdSense business was on fire. And when I said how many new customers we had added over the last couple of months, the CEO almost fell off his chair. What did you say? This is incredible. Do you need more marketing dollars? Do you need more engineering resources? So I'm feeling like the meeting's going all right. In fact, I now believe that I am a genius. And I walked out of the room, I walked past my boss, and I'm expecting a high five, a pat on the back. And instead, she said to me, why don't you walk back to my office with me? And I thought, oh, wow, I screwed something up, and I'm sure I'm about to hear about it. Now, the important thing here is that I was open to hearing about it. And I was oh, the reason why I was open to hearing about it is because my boss had solicited feedback from me in the past and had responded very well. So she had sort of walked the talk that feedback is a gift. So I knew that she was doing this from a, she, whatever she was going to say, she was going to say because she had my back. So anyway, 
we start walking and she starts out by telling me not not what I had done wrong, but what had gone well in, in the meeting. Not in the feedback sandwich. I think there's a less polite term for that. Not in the feedback sandwich sense of the word, but really seeming to mean what she said. But of course, all I wanted to hear about was what I had done wrong. And eventually she said to me, you said um a lot in there. Were you aware of it? And with this, I breathed a huge sigh of relief because if that was all I had done wrong, who really cared? I kind of made a brush off gesture with my hand and I said, oh, it's no big deal. It's a verbal tick. And then she said to me, I know this great speech coach and I bet Google would pay for it. Would you like an introduction? And once again, I made this brush off gesture with my with my hand. I said, no, I'm busy. I don't have time for a speech coach. Didn't you hear about all those new customers? And then she said to me, she kind of stopped. She looked me right in the eye and she said to me, I can tell when you do that thing with your hand that I am going to have to be a lot more direct with you. When you say um, every third word, it makes you sound stupid. Now she's got my full attention. And some people might say it was mean of her to say I sounded stupid. But in fact, it was the kindest thing she could have done for me at that moment in my career. Because if she hadn't used just those words with me, and this is a crucial point, because by the way, she would not have used just those words with other people on her team who were perhaps better listeners than I was. But if she hadn't used just those words with me, I never would have gone to visit the speech coach, and I wouldn't have learned that she was not exaggerating. I literally said, um, every third word. And this was news to me because I had been giving presentations my whole career. I had raised money for two different startups giving presentations. I thought I was pretty good at it. It was almost like I suddenly realized I'd been marching through my whole career with a giant hunk of spinach between my teeth. And nobody had had the common courtesy to tell me it was there. And so this really got me to thinking, why had no one told me? But also, what was it about her management style that made it so seemingly easy for her to tell me? And as I thought about it, I realized it really boiled down to these two things. I knew that she cared about me, not just as an employee, but as a human being. And I also knew that... She would not let her concern for my short-term feelings get in the way of her willingness to tell me when I was messing up so that I could fix it. I mean, it's, it's such an incredible story to see, like, not like that she didn't give up with you, right? Like, she really wanted yes. you to hear the feedback. And I yeah. think like that in of itself also is really important that sometimes we say things and People don't want to hear it or they don't think it's a big deal. And we actually need to connect with them in a way that helps them hear the feedback so that it can be acted on and not just ignored or spike all their defenses. Yes, exactly. And I think it's really important to remember that it's it's crucial to gauge how it's landing. Radical candor doesn't get measured at the speaker's mouth, but at the listener's ear. And if the other person, I mean, I, I want to reassure people that most of the time it's going to go better than you expect. But there will be times when the person is going to brush you off the way I did to my boss. And those are the times when you have to keep going out on the challenge directly dimension. It's not a one and done kind of thing. You say something, you notice how the other person responds, 
And if they're brushing you off, you have to say it again, maybe a little bit more clearly, a little bit more directly. And other times the person might seem sad or mad. And that's your cue to move up on the care personally dimension. Please, if that happens, just eliminate the phrase, don't take it personally from your vocabulary. Because when things don't go, we spend more time at work than in just about any other aspect of our lives. And when things don't go well, of course, it can feel like a gut punch. And it it doesn't mean we're unprofessional that we respond with some emotion. It just means we care about our work. And that's a good thing. I'm wondering if there are particular things that that managers can do or really than anyone can do to set that groundwork so that their team members or their colleagues know that they care personally, so that they are ready for that conversation, because that seems like such an important element, at least of your story and also of the, the framework in general. Yes. So the caring personally part is crucial, but I think it's important to remember that you don't have to build this deep relationship with someone before you can offer radical candor. Very often, caring personally just looks like noticing someone's humanity in the moment. So, for example, sort of the origin story of radical candor for me happened in the space of time it took a light to change on the street of Manhattan. I had just gotten a puppy, and I loved this puppy. I loved her so much that I had never said a cross word to her. And I, so she was, as a result, totally out of control. So I was taking her for a walk one night. She was jumping all over the place. And, and all of a sudden, she, she, a speeding cab was barreling towards her. So I pulled her out of the way in the nick of time. And I'm standing on the street corner with my heart in my throat. And this man, a perfect stranger, looks at me and he says, I can tell you really love that dog. That's all he has to do to move up on the care personally dimension. He doesn't have to take me out to lunch. He doesn't have to remember my kids' names or my birthday. It's just about noticing that person's humanity in the moment. But he says to me, you're going to kill that dog if you don't teach her to sit. And then he says, sit, in this kind of harsh voice, makes a harsh point at the ground, and the dog sat. I had no idea the dog even knew what that meant. I kind of looked up at him in amazement, and he said, it's not mean, it's clear. And then the light changed, and he walked off, leaving me with words to live by. So I think that remembering just to acknowledge someone's humanity in the, mom in the moment quickly is one of the most important things you can do. Of course, in the case of that story, I mean, my boss had done a lot of things to show me that she cared. When I moved from New York to California to take the job, I didn't know anyone here in California. And I felt lonely. And she could tell that I felt lonely. She introduced me to a book group, and I'm still friends with a number of those people to this day. When my father was diagnosed with cancer, I was devastated. And she could tell I was devastated. And she said, you go to get go to the airport, get on a plane, fly home to Memphis. You need to be with your family right now. Your team and I will write your coverage plan. So, so that's what great teams do for each other. We've got your back. And those were the kinds of things that she did for everyone, not just for me, but for everyone who worked directly with her. She couldn't, of course, 
do those kinds of things for all 5,000 people in her organization, no matter how talented you are, relationships don't scale. But when a leader treats their people with real care, it's much more likely that those people are going to, in turn, treat the people around them with real care. And that creates a culture of caring, and culture does scale. Yes, yes, yes. Okay, now, I mean, there's so many things that you just said that I want to go on, but I want to make sure we don't (laughs) run out of time. So I want to flip to the other side now, which is the be direct, because this is the part that I think other people are challenged by with the how do you say something and and not feel all the yuckiness of saying it and then like not raise someone's pricklies and just like that part of being direct. So any thoughts or tips on like how we can get better at just being direct? Yeah, the only way out is through. I cannot promise you that you won't feel hesitation to do it. And I cannot promise you that the other person will respond the way you hope they will. (laughs) Unfortunately, if I had emotional Novocaine, I promise I would give it to everyone. But Or maybe that would be very dangerous. I don't know. But anyway, we don't have emotional Novocaine. So I I think the only way out of this is through. The easiest way to remember that the right thing to do is to think about a moment in your career when you didn't tell someone the thing, or in your life, it doesn't have to happen at work, it happens in our personal lives all the time too. But think about a moment when you didn't tell the person something just because you were trying to spare their feelings, and then the consequences were bad. So for example, at one point, and, and that's like your ruinous empathy story. What is your ruinous empathy story? If we remember that We want to hang on to being kind, but we want to be kind not only in the short term, but also in the long term. Remembering this, your story will help you. So you want to hear my ruinous sympathy story? Yeah. Okay, here it is. I had just hired this guy. We'll call him Bob. And I liked Bob a lot. He was smart. He was charming. He was funny. He would do stuff like we were in a manager offsite, and we were playing kind of one of those endless get-to-know-you games. And it was a stressful moment in the startup's history, and and you could tell everybody really just kind of wanted to get back to work. And Bob was the guy who had the courage to raise his hand and, and to acknowledge the emotion in the room and to say, you know, I can tell everyone is stressed out, and I've got an idea. It'll help us get to know each other, and it'll be really fast. Whatever his idea was, if it was fast, we were down with it. Bob says, let's just go around the table and confess what candy our parents used when potty training us. Really weird, but really fat, really fast. Weirder yet, we all remembered. And then for the next 10 months, every time there was a tense moment in a meeting, Bob would whip out just the right piece of candy for the right person at the right moment. <laughs> so Bob brought a little levity to the office. He was, he was, he was funny. One problem with Bob. Bob was doing terrible work. He would hand stuff in to me, and there was shame in his eyes. He knew he wasn't doing good enough work. And I was so puzzled. I couldn't understand what was going on because he had this incredible resume, this history of accomplishments. I learned much later that the problem was that Bob was smoking pot in the bathroom three times a day, which maybe explained all that candy he had. (laughs) But anyway, I didn't know any of that at the time. All I knew was that Bob was doing terrible work. And I 
would say something to him when he handed it in along the lines of, oh, Bob, this is a great start. You're so smart. You're so awesome. Everybody loves working with you. Maybe you can make it just a little bit better, which, of course, he never did. And this goes on for 10 months. And and everyone on the team is getting increasingly frustrated because their deliverables are late, because Bob's deliverables are late. They're not able to do their best work because they're having to redo Bob's work. And after about 10 months of this, I realized that if I didn't fire Bob, I was going to lose all my best performers because they were frustrated. They were going to leave and go someplace where they could do their best work. And so I sat down to have a conversation with Bob that I should have started, frankly, 10 months previously. And when I finished explaining to Bob where things stood, he kind of pushed the chair back from the table. He looked me right in the eye and he said, why didn't you tell me? And as that question was going around in my head with no good answer, he looked at me again and he said, why didn't anyone tell me? I thought you all cared about me. And now I realized that by not telling Bob, thinking I was just being nice, the net result is that I'm having to fire him. Not so nice after all. It was one of the most painful moments of my career, but it was too late to save Bob because even Bob agreed he should go. His reputation on the team was just shot. All I could do in the moment was make myself a very solemn promise that I would never make that mistake again and that I would do everything in my power to help other people avoid making that mistake. Because it was so painful. It was painful for me. It was much worse for Bob. And it was bad for the whole team. Their relationships were strained. They were frustrated. And it was bad for our results. But if I never wanted to make that mistake again, I really had to think more deeply about why I had made that mistake. And that is what prompted me to write the book and come up with a framework and, and why I'm talking to you all today, because it's the most common management mistake. I'm not alone in that. I think everyone who's managed people for more than about six months has made that mistake. Absolutely. And the hard, I found that story so compelling because the hardest part is when something is small, it feels like no big deal. So you don't say anything. Or you don't know how to say anything and it's still new and you don't want to hurt the person. But then it gets so big that then it becomes really hard to say something for that exact reason because you just let it yes. go on. And then you start to feel bad that you let it go on. And it it's just so much worse. So it's, yes. it's just avoid that at all costs and you will make your life easier and everyone else's life easier. Yeah. And I think you want to hold on to your desire to be kind. That's a good desire. Yes. But you got to realize what is kinder in the long run. Totally. All right. One more question before we wrap up. So you also mentioned earlier that it really helps to start by soliciting feedback. And I know that as managers, we sometimes ask for feedback, but people don't really want to tell us anything because we're there. No, boss. they do not. <laughs> so yeah. do you have any tips or tricks for how to get your team to actually give you good quality, radical candor feedback? Yes. Four things to keep in mind. The first is 
you want to think very explicitly about the question you're going to ask. Because if you say, do you have any feedback for me? You're wasting your breath. I can already tell you the answer. Oh, no, everything's fine. So number one is think about what your question is. The question that I like to ask is, what could I do or stop doing that would make it easier to work with me? But don't just adopt my question. Because if you sound like Kim Scott and not like yourself, people won't believe you really want the answer. I was working with Krista Quarles when she was CEO of OpenTable, and she said to me, Kim, I could never imagine that question coming out of my mouth. The question I like to ask is, tell me why I'm wrong. Okay, that's a fine way <laughs> to ask the question too. The other thing to keep in mind about your go-to question is you, you may need to adjust it for the person who you're asking it of. On Krista's team, there were a couple of people who found that question too aggressive. So she had to ask it in a more gentle way for them. When I started Radical Candor with Jason Rosoff, after we had worked together for a couple of months, he told me he hated my go-to question. It was too open-ended. And he really, he needed me to ask him something more specific. So I think that if each person listening to this can take, take a beat, as long as you're not driving in a car, take a beat, pull out a pen, pull out a piece of paper, Write down what is your question and make sure your question can't be answered with the yes or no, that it demands an answer. Not, is there anything I could do, but what could I do? And then write down who you're going to ask it of and when you're going to ask it. And for bonus points, ask that question of someone who is more senior to you in the organization. Ask it of a peer and ask it of someone who works for you. This works equally well up, down, and sideways. You can even ask it of someone at home. <laughs> it works at home as well. So ask your question. Now, the bad news is that no matter how good your question is, you've got to take another step because the other person doesn't want to answer it. You've put them in an uncomfortable situation by asking your question. The only way out of that is through. So you need to listen you need to make sure that you're embracing the discomfort. So close your mouth and count to six. I only made it to three there, but you are the first person who didn't jump in and start saying something. <laughs> so good, good for you. You didn't fall for my trick. But six seconds is really a long time. So that is kind of embracing the discomfort. Now that you have managed to stay silent for six full seconds, the next trick is to make sure that you're listening with the intent to, to understand, not to respond. And that is hard because even though you just asked for feedback, you're probably going to feel a little bit defensive when you actually get it. And so, so you want to make sure that you're going in prepared to manage your own defensiveness. And don't beat yourself up if you feel defensive. It doesn't mean you're shut down to feedback or that you're a lesser mortal. It just means that you're human, and that's okay. You're allowed to be human. So one thing that you can do is you can ask some follow-up questions, you, but you want to make sure that you're not cross-examining the person who just gave you this gift, that you're not looking the gift horse in the mouth. So if you're not sure what they're talking about, don't demand that they give you examples, but try to think of your own examples of times when you might have done the thing that they're talking about. So, for example, once my boss said that I moved too fast, and I wasn't quite sure. It kind of rang true, but I wasn't quite sure specifically. And so I said, or what I wish I had said, I probably didn't say it this well at the time. In this <laughs> at the time, but you know, 
do I answer emails too quickly? Do I judge people too quickly? Do I make sloppy mistakes? Like those are some things that I might've done that there might've been examples of moving too fast. And then last but not least, you've got to reward the candor. You want to make sure that you are, if you agree with the feedback that you're fixing the problem. And if you disagree with the feedback that you're taking an extra beat to give voice to some aspect of to what the other person told you that you can agree with, just to demonstrate that you're not shut down the feedback. And then have a respectful conversation with them about why you disagree. And at some point, you've got a list and challenge commit. But you want to make sure that you're making your listening tangible. And offering a disagreement, like I think we feel like disagreement is going to hurt our relationships. But what really hurts our relationships is when we don't voice our disagreement. Unspoken disagreement tends to build up and build up and eventually explode. Oh, my gosh. Okay. We have to wrap up. But I I really love this process that is so clear and just can help us ask for feedback, process it appropriately, give ourselves the grace for when it stings, because even though you know it's going to hurt, it still hurts and it still sucks. Yes. But that's okay. Knowing it's coming can just be helpful and really listening and really giving appreciation to the person for helping you see yourself differently, whether or not you agree with it, they gave you a gift. So thank you for giving us the gift of your time and your wisdom today, Kim. To wrap us up, can you tell us about a great manager that you worked for and what made this person such a fantastic boss? I had a wonderful boss named Reed Hunt when I worked at the Federal Communications Commission. And he was a boss who really was so respectful and so caring and so unafraid to share what he thought. So I will give you an example. This was not feedback about work, but I was in a I was in a disastrous relationship and I was miserable all the time. And we were on a work trip. We were taking the train from DC to New York and 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 he happened to know because it had come out something that had happened. And he looked at me and he kind of asks a really good question, (laughs) quoting Sheryl Crow. And he said, if it makes you happy, why are you so sad? And, you know, that was a good question. It was a really good question. So I, I was very grateful that he was able to show that he cared personally. And because he was able to do that sort of thing, he challenged when he offered me critical feedback about my work, I knew it came from a place where he had my back. But he also was was unafraid to to point out stuff in my personal life as well. And that's not always welcome, but he and I had developed a relationship over time and that that made him know that that was okay. So I'm not saying every manager out there should go commenting on your direct reports relationships. In some cases that would be extremely unwelcome, but in this case it was much appreciated. Amazing. And where can people learn more about you and get copies of your of all your books? Yes, please don't forget about Just Work, which came out after Radical Candor. So if you go to justworktogether.com, you can learn more about that and think justice, not just work all the time when you think just work. 
RadicalCandor.com. You can learn a lot more about Radical Candor and the TV show we made about Radical Candor. And you can, if Twitter doesn't implode, you can follow me at Kimball Scott. I'm also on Mastodon and LinkedIn, should Twitter implode in the next few weeks. And just keep in touch. You can always send an email to RadicalCandor at RadicalCandor.com. Thank you again so much. And I have to admit, I haven't yet read Just Works, but it is on my list to read during the winter break while I'm traveling and I'm looking forward to it greatly. So thank you so much again for, for this chat today. Thank you. Really enjoyed the conversation. Kim is providing 10% off the Feedback Loop, a laugh and learn training program that includes a workplace comedy to help you develop a candid culture of effective feedback. Radical Candor and Second City Works have teamed up to produce this digital solution that is nothing short of hilarious. And the discount is available to patron members of the Modern Manager community and participants in the Skills Accelerator. To become a member, go to themodernmanager.com slash join. Plus, you'll get to join us on January 11th for the FABS Leadership Event with Robert Jordan. And by the way, if you just want to show your love for this podcast, become a member at the supporter level for $5 per month. You'll get a few gifts as my way of saying thank you. And again, all the membership information for all the levels is at themodernmanager.com slash join. Of course, all the links are in the show notes, and they can be delivered to your inbox when you subscribe to my newsletter. Find that at themodernmanager.com. Thanks again for listening. Until next time. Meetings are one of the most critical components of healthy collaboration, and teams are at the heart of how we work. Meteor helps you use your time in meetings productively build healthy relationships with your colleagues, and move work forward. To learn how we do it, visit Meteor.com. That's M-E-E-T-E-O-R.com. You've been listening to The Modern Manager. You're already becoming a rockstar boss of a thriving team, I can tell. To ensure you never miss an episode, subscribe to the show in your favorite podcast player and join the mailing list at MamieKS.com slash podcast. That's M-A-M-I-E-K-S dot com slash podcast to get show notes and other special content delivered directly to your inbox. Thank you so much for listening. Until next time.